gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. That the wrath of God must be poured out upon sin. That God's righteousness has to be satisfied. But the gospel, scandal, and it wasn't you. It was the spotless, sinless lamb of God who died in your place. That's the gospel. When Jesus, the lamb of God, dies, sins are taken away and wrath is removed he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world scandal that it wasn't you it was the spotless sinless lamb of god who died in your place that's the gospel cross blindly. He doesn't get on the cross and say, no, Father, I don't want to do this. I didn't know it would cost so much. He knew from eternity how much it would cost him, and yet he still did it. If his love is like that, if he has set me free completely, I'm his. He says, such is my love to and pity for them, that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their guarantee. Bring in all thy bills, Father, that I may see what they owe thee. Hello, welcome to the Believing Theologist podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Smith, here to proclaim the gospel and sound doctrine in Lansing, mid-Michigan, in the farthest reaches of the UP. Welcome to yet another episode I pray this will all be edifying for you and hopefully a learning experience as well. And without further ado, let's get into it. Today I want to address a very specific doctrine that has shown itself to some, sometimes be confusing to downright heretical. This doctrine is often referred to as kenosis. Excuse me. The passage that is that this is typically derived from is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, from this point, there is uh, several different directions we could go. But I thought the most uh, best way to do this is to go over. Is a, a couple couple folks who are way smarter than I am have done a lot of work on this area. I'm going to read from their articles and then offer a few of my own two cents at the end. Uh, the first article is going to be from GotQuestions.org. The second will be from CARM.org. And hopefully, um, all this will come through. Now, the article from Got Questions. What is kenosis? What is the kenosis? The term kenosis refers to the doctrine of Christ's self-emptying in his carnation. The word comes from the Greek of, the Greek of Philippians 2.7, which says, 
that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The word translated emptied is a form of cano, or canoe, excuse me, from which we get the word kenosis. Notice that Philippians 2.7 does not specify what the Son of God emptied himself of. And here we must be careful not to go beyond what Scripture says. Jesus did not empty himself of his divine attributes, nor such attributes are mentioned in the verse. It is obvious in the Gospels that Jesus possessed the power and wisdom of God. Coming the storm is just one display of Jesus' divine power in Mark 4.39. And coming to earth, the Son of God did not cease to be God, and he did not become a lesser God. Whatever the emptying entailed, Jesus remained fully God. In Christ, all the fullness of deity lives bodily in form. And bo- lives in bodily form. Colossians 2.9 It is better to think of Christ emptying himself as a laying aside of the privileges that were his in heaven. Rather than stay on his, thro- on his throne in heaven, Jesus made himself nothing as the NIV translates Philippians 2.7. When he came to earth, Jesus made himself, he gave up his divine privileges. He veiled his glory, and he chose to occupy the position of a slave. The kenosis was a self-renunciation, not an emptying of himself or deity, nor was it an exchange of deity for humanity. Jesus never ceased to be God during any part of his earthly ministry. He did set aside his heavenly glory. He also voluntarily refrained from using his divinity to make his way easier. During his earthly ministry, Christ completely submitted himself to the will of the Father. John 5.19 As part of the kenosis, Jesus sometimes operated within limitations of humanity. God does not get tired or thirsty, but Jesus did. John 4.6, 1928 God knows all things, but it seems that at least once Jesus voluntarily surrendered the use of his omniscience. Matthew twenty four thirty six. Other times, Jesus' omniscience was on full display. Luke six eight, John thirteen eleven, and eighteen and John eighteen verse four. There are some false teachers out there who take the concept of kenosis too far, saying that Jesus gave up all or some of his divine nature when he came to earth. This heresy is sometimes referred to as a kenosis theory, but a better term is kenoticism or kenotic theology, to distinguish it from biblical understanding of the kenosis. When it comes to the kenosis, we focus too much on what Jesus gave up. The kenosis also deals with what Christ took on. Jesus added to his divine nature a human nature as he humbled himself for us. Jesus went from being the glory of glories in heaven to a... To a <coughs> To being a human, excuse me, let me try that again. Jesus went from being the glory of glories in heaven to bring a human being who was put to death on the cross. Philippians 2, 7 through 8 declares, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In the ultimate act of humility, the God of the universe became a human being and died for his creation. The kenosis is the act of Christ taking on human nature with all of its limitations except with no sin. As one Bible scholar, Bible scholar wrote, at his incarnation he remained in the form of God, 
and as such he is Lord and ruler of all. But he also accepted the nature of a servant as part of his humanity. That's reference to J.J. Mueller, the epistles of J.J. Mueller, and his work, the epistles of Paul to the Philippians of Philemon, page 82. And forgive my voice, I'm uh, getting over being sick. Now, that was a very, very brief overview of kenosis and what it is. And it can be, in the next article, Karm kind of gets into how dangerous this doctrine can be, or this idea or theory can be. There is a lot of... Because there's so, uh, as that article got questions in, there's a lot of false teachers out there that will take it a step too far and say that Christ gave up his divinity in all, all or in part. Both state, both of which would be considered heresy according to historical Orthodox Christianity. Now, uh, now I'm going to let Matt Slick of karm.org explain. Kenosis. Kenosis is derived from the Greek, Greek word canoe, which means to empty. It's used in Philippians 2.7. And, of course, we're going to go over again. The f- text of Philippians 2.5.3 is worth recording here. Having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearances of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The kenosis theory states that Jesus gave up some of his divine attributes while he was a, a man here on earth. These attributes were omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. Christ did this voluntarily, so that he could function as a man in order to fulfill the work of redemption. This view was first introduced in the late 1800s in Germany with Gottfried Thomasius. Gottfried Thomasius. T-H-O-M-A-S-I-U-S. And he, his ministry was active 1802 to, or his life 1802 to 1875. He was a Lutheran theologian. Now, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 does not teach that Jesus gave up any of his divine attributes. since it says nothing of those attributes. Instead, it's speaking of his humility that moved him, according to the will of the Father, to leave his majestic state in heaven and enter into the humble position of human nature. There is, however, a problem, with the, a problem the Orthodox must deal with that the kenosis theory seems to more adequately address. Take Mark 13.32, for example. In it, Jesus said, But the day, but of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. If Jesus knew all things, as is implied in his divine nature, then why did he not know the day or hour of his own return? The answer is that Jesus cooperated with the limitations of humanity, and voluntarily did not exercise his attributes of omniscience. He was still divine, but was moving and living completely as a man. The Kenosis theory is a dangerous doctrine, because if it were true, then it would mean Jesus was not fully divine. 
His atoning work would not be sufficient to atone for the sins of the world. The correct doctrine is the hypostatic union, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. See Colossians 2.9. In fact, actually, let's just read that. Colossians 2.9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And he did not give up any divine attributes while as a man on earth. Now, this is the hardest part, I think, with this. A lot of, a lot of people do honestly have trouble with. How can you know, even God, Jesus, exist two natures and and a single being or a single manifestation, however you want to put it, at once? Question is, or the answer to that is, we really don't know. There's not much we can do to actually fully count to either comprehend that in our in our own finite minds, let alone fully explain it. But Christ, Jesus Christ is God incarnate. In fact, let's look back at the passage in question as soon as I find my mouse. There it is, found my mouse. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love or participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, in heaven, heaven and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, the interesting thing, thing I find about that is that in the whole context of this, He's talking to Paul's talking to the Philippians about not being selfish, looking out for one another, being more concerned about one another's affair, affairs and issues above your own. And in this, as believers, we have the example of Christ we can follow in this. Now, Since I'm talking to you, dear listener, or if you're watching, to you. If I place, if we're hanging out together, whatever, or we're good friends, or we've been, and I place my needs above yours, or, um, excuse me, your needs above mine, as a brother in Christ, that does not change who I am. That doesn't change my nature. 
after Paul says this, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So as we saw in, these, in the articles that I read, and looking back at the scripture, we see nothing of any specific divine attributes that he emptied himself of. But rather the privilege of, excuse me, but rather seemingly the privilege, the pr- either privilege or the, or the f- fullness of what God is. No, uh, let me let me try it this way. Uh, when Jesus Jesus said himself that he came not to be served but to serve. That was his primary. That was one of his primary mission, primary things he did as a man on earth. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's because of this, because of this humility. As human, but still being fully God, he he was able to be obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. That death resulting that resulting in justification of those that would believe in him, believe on him. So there's a lot more we could go over. But we're gonna call it good for the day. No, but I, w- I want to say, all this is why all this is why it's so very important that we need when we read scripture, and tr- when we read scripture, when we interpret it, we take the time to decipher what the author originally intended. Not reimagine or interpret it through our own current or modern contexts. Many times, we will come to parts of scripture that are difficult to understand. Or that we don't like at all. Some bits may even make us angry upon reading them. It, but it's at these moments, we need to make sure we need to slow down. Slow down. And read carefully. Because the more I'm learning, the more I'm seeing just some basic interpretation of Scripture. The vast majority of the issues that I think a lot of people have, myself included, is a lack of reading, basic reading comprehension. Following proper grammar and so on. Now, I'm not going to go on the whole thing. I don't think I could actually explain that very well. Um, if there are any of, there, any of you out there that, that, if that's your thing, let me know. And lastly, before I sign off, I want to say, remind you of the gospel. We are sinners that have sinned against the creator of the universe. We cannot atone for our own sins. Therefore, God, in his goodness and love, sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, so that whomever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, Jesus lived the perfect life you cannot live. Fulfill the law of God on your behalf and took on the wrath of God you deserve. Upon his death, 
He was buried and raised back to life three days defeat three days later, defeating death, Satan, and the grave. Repent of your sins. Place your faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins today. Now, if any of you listening have any questions or comments, look up Bleeding Theologist on Podbean, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play. I look forward to hearing from you, and I hope you stick around for a few episodes or more. This has been an episode of Believing Theologist, proclaiming the gospel and sound doctrine to the furthest reaches of the great state of Michigan. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. <laughs>